Welcome to the RodeoKids.com Zoom. I am your host, Camry Widmer, and today's guest comes from our Rodeo Kids Monthly Zoom. Each month, we invite somebody throughout the industry, be it a barrel horse trainer, a world champion, a business owner, some sort of producer or entertainer. We've had all kinds of different people on the Zoom, and we like to provide a variety of people because we know that there are so many opportunities in this industry to be involved. It's not just being a competitor and it's not just being a fan. There are ways to make a living in this industry just because you love the sport or certain aspects of it and that can become your profession. So we invite guests on that give us a well-rounded view of what the opportunities are and that there's not just one way to get there, to follow your passions and that God will provide a path. So we pick up those tools along the way as we're creating our own paths. So we love to have those guests on and then we turn them into our Rodeo Kids podcast so that everybody else can listen if you weren't able to make it. So this month's Rodeo Kids Zoom was with Kim Thomas. She is a futurity horse trainer and she's done it all. I mean, when it comes to barrel racing, whether it's training horses, selling horses, working for breeders, uh, all of it, she's done it. And so this podcast is full of awesome advice as to how to get started, what it looks like when you get started, making good decisions, some tips and tricks to tune up your horses and things to think about that will just really settle in and make you think about life and barrel racing and all kinds of cool, awesome things. So she did a fantastic job. Our guests that were on the Rodeo Kids Zoom asked fantastic questions. So you will want to listen to this one and you can tune in to the next Rodeo Kids monthly Zoom this Sunday, October 30th with Bailey Cooper from Rural Health Education. She is going to share with us about how our diet and nutrition can make a huge difference in how we perform, how we recover, how we think, and all kinds of cool things. She's super down to earth. She is a dietitian with her PhD, so she knows her stuff, and I've been working with her for um, about five or six weeks now, and it's been amazing. I've really enjoyed it, uh, learning what to eat, how to eat, why to eat, what I eat, um, and just debunking some of the myths that social media and this dieting fad culture that we live in has created around being healthy. So you can tune into that on Sunday, 6.30 p.m. Central Time. Check out rodeokids.com to find the link. Now let's welcome our guest, Kim Thomas. Welcome to the RodeoKids.com podcast, where we empower youth to be their best selves through the values and traditions of the rodeo and Western lifestyle. Tonight's guest is Kim Thomas. She is a professional barrel racer, horse trainer. She has done all kinds of things. Um, she's a clinician. She gives lessons. She has just been awesome. I know that my mom has talked about her. Um, and I think we even stopped at your house and tried some horses one time. And uh, my mom was a professional barrel racer as well. And so she's just got a great reputation. If you follow her on Facebook, which I highly recommend, she's always putting awesome content out there, things to think about, um, different drills you can do, just all kinds of neat stuff. And like, that's what we want in our lives if we're going to make it to the top, which I know all of you want to do that. So Kim, if you want to go ahead and unmute yourself, I'm going to turn this over to you for you to just Kind of tell these kids your story as to where you were in their shoes right now to how you got to where you're at. Um, and then as we go, guys, take notes. Be ready to ask questions. Um, so, yeah, go ahead, Kim. Okay. Well, I got my first horse when I was three years old. I grew up with parents that my dad loved animals, loved horses, but my family knew nothing about horses. But it sparked a love for me. We moved out into the country in a little town called Wachula in Florida, which was basically a cowboy town. What most people did for entertainment, FFA was big, 4-H was big, showing cattle was big, and so was rodeo. So 
when I was in school, we did, when I was younger, we did play days and little things like that. And then I got um, involved in a little, we didn't even have junior rodeo back then. We had high school rodeo. I was also, I was president of FFA. I was very involved in that. I showed cattle. I um, always had horses growing up. We always had horses. But about my junior, senior year, I decided to go to some high school rodeos. But you have to understand, I wasn't really serious about it at that point. So my parents were like, if you don't ride your horse at least two weeks before the rodeo, we're not going. So I didn't go to a lot of rodeos, but I went, went to enough. I enjoyed it. We put on FFA rodeos. I competed in those. And then when I graduated from high school, I had this big void in my life. Like I didn't have anything to do all of a sudden except the horses. So I kind of dove into the horse part of it and got me a little horse from one of the neighbors. It was a grade mare. I paid $500 for, which was a lot of money for me back then because I was probably nine, I think I was 19 years old when I bought this horse. And I had friends that were barrel racers. And so I rode with them and I trained this horse myself. And I started out at the amateur rodeos. I did well at the amateur rodeos. I ended up buying my permit with this horse and filling it and actually back back then you could if you want enough on your permit you could buy your card at that time you can't do that anymore but you could buy your card and carry your money over with you so that's what I did so I went to my first circuit finals and that kind uh do you guys know what she's talking about when she's talking about like buying her permit and her card so I'm kind of doing, can you explain that a little bit so that they know what you're talking about there? Yes, I, I'm talking about the WPRA. So I started out in high school rodeos. I went to some amateur IPRA type rodeos um, in Florida. And then I bought my car, my card, actually my WPRA card, which supposedly labels you a professional in 1980. That was the first year I bought my card. So I'm a 40 plus year gold card member of the WPRA, long time member. So from there, I, things just kind of escalated. I had a girl offer me $10,000 for my horse, which I thought was, because back when I first started running barrels, everybody trained their own horses. They didn't have, we didn't have, you know, trainers or, or, you know, people to send your horses with. You just rode with your friends. I did ride with a dressage trainer when I was younger because, like I said, I grew up with parents that didn't know much about horses. So we did take riding lessons. And I had a guy in my hometown that had won 10 world champion reinings, and I rode with him quite a bit. So I learned quite a bit from him. But anyway, I sold, I sold this horse. So I had to get something else and start over. So I don't even remember what the next horse was I bought, but every horse led me to another horse is, is what I'm telling you. And then it got to the point, every time I started winning on a horse, somebody wouldn't want to buy the one I was riding. So what I started doing was when I got one horse finished, I'd buy me another young horse and I'd get that young horse going. When somebody came along to buy my good horse, I'd sell my good horse and fall back on my young horse. So I did that for quite a bit. And I had several good rodeo horses, won quite a bit at the rodeos. I think I qualified for 10 Southeast Circuit finals because I grew up in Florida. So I was in the Southeast Circuit. So I went to 10 10 Circuit finals in the barrel racing and on numerous horses, numerous horses. So one year I have this pretty yellow palomino horse and it was out of the first foal crop of of firewater flit and firewater flit is now dead and gone but he's still he still has champions so i had the first foal crop of, of those horses and this horse 
I can't, I can't take credit for her. She was going to be a great horse. It didn't matter who had her. Just stay out of her way and let her do her job. But she's kind of the horse that made me famous. I did really, really well on her. She, I think I entered 13 futurities and won money at 11. Um, I got my biggest single check of my career on her, which was at Fort Smith, Arkansas, one third. And it was like for $14,000. So that was fun. And that was way before, like they had these big added money futurities like they do now. Yeah, that was in 1991, I think, that she was my futurity horse. So anyway, she was beautiful. She had a really pretty style. If you guys watch the video that you sent everybody the link to, mm -hmm. the Palomina horse on there turning real I mean she turned just like firewater flip just ran and turned ran and turned she wasn't a fast horse she was extremely quick and she made up all her time on her turns so that horse brought me recognition on a different level and back then back before that I mean I had a horse that I had qualified for the NFR or was in the I was in the top 10 in the in the for the NFR and she actually a vet overdosed her with selenium me and killed her like right after the summer run oh that's so, heartbreaking yeah I've got a couple I've had two horses actually die that I was on my way to the NFR on but anyway she um after that I, I had this I had I called her Goldie her name was Florida Flip but I called her Goldie so Goldie kind of opened a door for me because when you're winning people think you know something which I have later in my life realized there's lots of girls that win that don't know how or why they do that they've just got that lucky that lucky wonder horse I mean whoever named their horse that it was it was it's the truth I mean there's a lot of girls that can win and outrun you and it it's not because of their talent talent per se it's because of the animal's talent mm -hmm. and I can say gold I mean I feel like I got the best there was out of Goldie but she, I believe that anybody that had owned her and given her a chance would have won on her so she brought me recognition to the futurity world even though I had dabbled in the futurity world some and I had had some success in the past but this was my first like horse that everywhere I went, I pretty much won money. So after her, up until that point, I always had a job and I did my rodeo and my horsing on the weekends, like most people that have a job. Well, after my success on her, all of a sudden I get all these phone calls to train horses. Next thing I know, I've got more horses than I can ride. So I quit my job and I started training horses, which I shouldn't say I regret it because it's the path that led me. And I was very successful in my career, but, but I can tell you that it, it was a struggle. It, I mean, it, it's, it's really hard to make a living training horses. I'm just going to say that. It, mm -hmm. especially back in those days because there wasn't horses weren't worth the money they're worth now I mean I remember I sold Florida Flit to a kid for 50,000 and she was like one of the three top high selling horses in my time wow so and now 50,000 won't even touch you a I mean, you're, you'll, you can get a nice horse for 50000 but you're not going to, you're not going to dominate with a $50,000. You're not going to get an so, NFR horse for 50000 No, no. So anyway, she's, she changed my life. A lot of horses have changed my life. So after her, I ended up going to work for a guy named Runt Cumbie, who was actually my second cousin. I didn't know that when I met him, but he ended up being that. And I rode some cash, not credit horses for him. 
and I had a standout horse called This Gal's Got Credit. I ended up winning basically my first world championship on her. I won it at the WPRA Divisional Circuit um, Finals. And let me tell you something, it was at Lazy and it was tough. Um, I outran Christy Peterson on Bozo. I think she was third. And Twyla Holler, who had won the um, BFA sweepstakes the year before, she was second. So that was uh, a huge accomplishment for me in the, ro in the rodeo world, at least. And that mare, she ended up winning the high school finals with the little cumby girl. She was a standout horse. Well, then the next year, I have a half brother to her and I win Oklahoma City on that horse. His name was Thinking of Cash. So I think the following year I ran, I set an arena record. It's been broken since then, but I set an arena record on another cash not credit. And I worked for Cumbie for three or four years. And then I um, married Danny Thomas and we moved back to Wachula. And I did my own thing for years until I came to work, went to work for Jed Little. That's what brought me to Oklahoma. Okay. I am. Um, I had sold Jed Little a couple of horses, actually three. And they had bought horses from every trainer all over the country and never won anything on any of them. And I sell them three and they're winning on all of them. So he offered me a job to do his futurity program. So back then I had the horse Dinah's Plain Special. That's one of the ones he bought from me. She was born and raised 15 miles from me by some people from Florida named um, Gary and Linda Jones. They're, they, they rodeoed, they both rodeoed. He roped, she ran barrels. They were older than me. They were probably my parents' age and they were getting too old to go compete and stuff. So they sent me this horse. She was hitting barrels really bad. And actually she was, um, she was small. She was turning in front of the first barrel. So I get her and she was really, really broke. And I get her going in the right direction. I think the first futurity I went to, I placed, um, she actually, I think there was 400 and something horses in a sweepstakes and she won second and she was a four-year-old. So she was wow. just kind of special. She was just kind of special. She was. And um, Judd, that's one of the one that Judd bought. And I worked for him for like five years. I had some real good futurity horses I made for him. There's a couple that we sold. One of them we sold in our sale. She was the highest selling horse in our first sale, she brought like $48,000, which was a whole lot for a three-year-old back then. Mm -hmm. And uh, she went on to be a, uh, a 1D barrel horse of one money at rodeos. Her name was Kisses After Six. She was by Martha Six Moons. And anyway, I get most of you will, will know Dee Dee. She's in the in the video she's the one that Janae Ward ended up winning the world in 2003 that's the year that I quit working for Judd okay and I had rodeoed on her had not rodeoed on her at all in that in the winter months because what a lot of people don't know about her she had a really bad club foot and you had to keep that club foot I had to reset it about every two weeks two to three weeks because when it started getting long she would um, be off on it, you know. It would it would get sore. Yeah. So you that was all a, little... a club foot is. Do you want to explain what a club foot is? A club foot basically is a is a small foot that's got a lot of heel and it's um, it doesn't look normal, like it's pinched sort of, and the heels. But usually the heels on a horse with a club foot are, are high. So, and that's what happened with her. You had to keep that heel cut off and keep it level or she, she would get sore on it. So anyway, um, I didn't rodeo all winter because she was way better outdoors than indoors for me. Like I couldn't hardly get her past the barrel. So I waited till the summer run and I started at Reno and I won 30,000 in like three weeks on her, which back then that was a lot. That was well on your way to the NFR. And 
I ended up going home and we had a lot of trouble at the ranch when I went home. So I went home to trade rigs because the friend of mine, her horse was hurt and I was going to get another rig and go back out. And there was so much chaos at the ranch. I mean, I, if I left and we, we had a horse sale going on, the horses weren't getting ridden. It was just chaos. And I just, I quit. I was like, I'm not putting my name on these horses. I'm not going to be a part of this. This is not how I want it to be. And so I quit. So that's when Janae, about two weeks later, Janae was on my horse. And you know the rest of the story. She ended up winning the world and the NFR. And unfortunately, they rode her hurt. And she ended up having to be euthanized the next spring. <sighs> and her, and her, um, her cult is JL Dash to Heaven. That's how he got the name Dash to Heaven is she died two days before he was born so and and he was he was out of dash to fame and, and Didi, so they named him dash to heaven so that's how he got his name but i had quit at that point and after that i went back out on my own kind of started over again i haven't competed in futurities in a long time um i was still training some horses mostly the horses people send me to ride were either young horses, like three-year-olds that they wanted started on the girls and hauled a little bit or something that's messed up. That's mostly what I've gotten to ride. So this less past winter in February, I, um, well, I had to have shoulder surgery uh, about two years ago. That kind of set me back for a while. And then last winter, a colt jumped on me and broke my ankle. Oh no! I was like, Lord, open the door for me because it's time for me to do something else because they were just, you just don't bounce back like you do when you're younger. So in February, I had been um, working with Succeed with through the WPRA because I was a director in the WPRA for the Prairie Circuit. And I had been working with them on awards and stuff and they ended up sponsoring my clinics and I was selling a lot of product um, from them because it is a great product for ulcers. And we, they ended up offering me a job. I was shocked. I didn't see that coming. So the WPRA or Succeed? Succeed. Okay, cool. I started to work. I started working for Succeed the first of February, and I sent my horses home. It was in the middle of the winter. It couldn't have been a better time. Sent my horses home. Sold my truck. Sold my trailer. I still help some kids around here. I give some lessons occasionally close by my house, and I actually have a clinic this weekend and a clinic next weekend. I'm still doing my clinics, which I absolutely love doing my clinics. I love helping people and I love helping seeing them improve. So that's kind of my history. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions anybody might have. No question yeah. is silly. So fire away. All right, Madison, go ahead. Okay, so I have two questions. Um, the first one is how old should you start running young horses and not overwork them? Well, a lot of that depends on the horse. You don't, I usually start my horses as three-year-olds. I usually, if, if, I've, if I'm planning on taking them to a futurity, I'm going to start them in the spring of their four-year, of their three-year-old year, which is whenever the weather gets breaks and gets good, like usually around March. And then I'm going to ride them a few months and then I'm going to turn them out for a little bit. And then in the in around maybe two months, I'll turn them out and then I'm going to get them back up and I'm going to start adding a little more pressure, start hauling them and going with them. Now, in, uh, like last year, people were sending me two-year-olds, long two-year-olds to start on the barrels and start hauling them because everybody's trying to get ahead of that futurity year. To me, a lot of it depends on the horse. If you've got a horse that's you know, mentally tough and can take it and they're, they're coming along and they're not hating it or they're not getting nervous or fractious or bothered by it, then you're fine and you're not making them sore or any of those things. The big thing is on young horses, 
you need to make sure their knees are closed. And most of the time, their knees don't close close until sometime they're in their two-year-old years. I've even had three-year-olds that their knees weren't closed. The more racehorse they have in them, the more likely their knees don't close very early. If they're kind of cow bred, they tend to close a little bit earlier. But you just you just don't want to do anything that's going to sore them up or make them hate it. Like I just I do a lot of slow work on my horses. I'm, I don't ever run them at home. I might breeze them through it at home, but I never ask them at home. And then I haul them away and I treat them just like I do at home. And then when they start getting confident and making the same pass every single time, then I start adding speed. And I always okay. add, add speed on the barrels before I ever add speed coming home. Like coming home is the last place I add speed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because you don't want them to get that run in their brain. Thank you. I have another question. So okay. what's the after products you use on your horse's legs? Like right after a run? Well, there's all kinds of poultice you can use. I used to... Um, this is this is old old way, but I used to mix uh, wintergreen alcohol and water and put it in a spray bottle and spray it all over them. And then if I got ho- <laughs> and then if I got home and felt like they needed a poultice or whatever, I would do that. And I always wrap my horse's legs to haul them. Always with um, I used. Um, those puffy bandages what do you call those like the shipping bandages or uh yeah like 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 what you do to wrap them if you were if you were like a support bandage yeah what do you call those pillow, you can't get a, pillow wraps no not the pillow wraps because the pillow wraps you can get too tight these other ones are hard to get too tight okay anyway they're they've got some foamy stuff in them and you put them on but that's what I used to do I always hauled my horses and I would usually put poultice underneath those but like if I had a short trip and was going to drive less than an hour I didn't do all that I would just spray them down with that winter green alcohol and water you'd be surprised what that does for them mm-hmm. I bet nobody does that anymore <laughs> we still have the spray bottles full of it I think we put um winter green we put alcohol in it too I think oh, I just good. use wintergreen alcohol, plain yeah. wintergreen alcohol, mix it with water. Oh, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Riley and okay. Peyton. Um, and my question is, how did you overcome the disappointment of losing some of your good horses? Oh, geez. It, it, it wasn't easy. I mean, it's just, it's kind of like getting bucked off a horse. You just got to get back on. It, 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 it's gut-wrenching. I mean, there's nothing, it's like losing a family member almost. I mean, it's like losing your dog. I mean, my horses are like family for me. They're, they're your partner. So, um, it, it, it was devastating, but you're going to learn as you get older that there's going to be lots of devastating things that happen in your life. You can't let it ruin your life. You can't let it, you know, the old saying, the old saying, when you get bucked off the horse, you got to get back on. It's kind of the same thing. You just keep going. Mm-hmm. Great advice. Go ahead, Peyton. Thank you. And my question is, what do you look for in a barrel prospect? Well, I got to tell you that little $500 horse I told you that I bought, she, she wasn't much, but she had a huge, huge heart. And I believe I've trained some horses. I, I had this horse for this older man and he had trained it. And this horse was so ugly and he, and he walked like a, like a gated horse. I mean, people actually made fun of me for riding this horse. I, I used to call it his Keyberry shuffle because when he walked, he walked like back and forth and back and forth instead of straight ahead, you know. 
but you can't believe how much I won on that horse. I won money everywhere I went on that horse, but you know why? Because I gave that horse a chance and that horse had a big old heart and he tried for me. So I learned really early on not to label a horse by what it looks like or what it, even what it moves like. Like a lot of people say, oh, that horse is not a good mover. And, and I would say if I was buying a horse and paying a lot of money for it, I'd want it to have everything that I wanted it to have. But don't rule out a horse just because, because heart plays a big, a big part of it. I mean, it's just like in any other sport, you see people that's playing baseball or football. You see guys that are dynamic on the football field and you're going, how are they doing that? Because they're small, you know, they're small and they're out there making the most tackles or so to me, you can't, I learned early on, I don't judge a horse by what it looks like or even when it moves up. If it tries to work, that's 90% of the game. If your horse goes out there and works every single time, that's half your battle. You can't go out there and continually make mistake after mistake. If you're making just tons of mistakes and tons of mistakes, you need to go back to the practice pen and you need to help. And I mean, I coach a few pro girls too, and you'd be surprised how many of them are out there rodeoing trying to win and their horses aren't even doing the basic things correctly. And I keep telling them, you've got to go back to your basics. You know, your horse can do the job. Your basics aren't sharp you have to keep your tools sharp if your tools aren't sharp you can't get your job done that's awesome advice and I think you know I, I think God will let you know too like I think that there are horses like you're saying you know there are some characteristics you know like just an overall good looking quarter horse that isn't lame you know like there, there's basic things that we all look for but I also think that there are those moments where it doesn't make sense to buy the horse but there's something in your gut that just says that's the one that's the one for me and when that kind of stuff happens you have to trust that because there's some kind of connection there at least that's what I felt and I think too many people do get to labeling and oh it's got to be it's got to be this horse or that horse or this horse or that horse but it also depends on the person, you know, like I'm more comfortable on a small horse and five foot two, I've ridden more ponies than horses lately. And so I like the little cow horses, but everybody likes different things. And so your style might just be different than somebody. So like Kim said, just don't rule them out because it's somebody else's style of horse or not. Yeah. Thank you. All You're right. welcome, sweetie. Victoria. Hello. I have a few questions. Um, one of my questions was when you said you wrapped your horse every single time you put them in the trailer, were you ever worried about their legs getting too hot in the trailer? No, because I always use cooling gel underneath my wraps. So if I was wrapping for um, a long distance, I would use this cooling gel called EPF5 and it actually tightened everything and it kept their legs cool underneath the wraps they didn't sweat with the wraps on okay and then my other question is I'm having trouble with my horse like fishtailing around our left turns with his hind end and when we do our dry work when there's no barrels he doesn't he bends perfect circles but when we add a barrel and he kicks his hip out and I was wondering if there was any advice you had for that well, number one, you probably, when horses sling their rear ends, their, their bodies are out of balance. They're disconnected. I could show you better than I could tell you, but you need to do a lot of stopping and backing up and rolling him over his hocks and getting him used to using that rear end and planting that pivot foot and pushing off on it. So that's what I do when horses tend to sling their rear. The other thing is when you're doing your slow work, well, two things, give less pocket because too much pocket will make a horse sling its rear. And when you do your slow work and you stop at the barrel, kick his hip towards the barrel, not away from it. And do that till like trot him up to the barrel, stop him and kick his, make him move his butt towards the barrel. 
Well, when he starts doing that on his own, like every horse, if I trained a horse, if you get on one of my horses and you trot them through the barrels, every one of them are going to do that mm-hmm. because I teach them to do that. Because what that does is it ensures that their hind leg is up underneath them. Because we, I don't like, I'm, I like a more of a cow horse too. I like a horse that uses their rear. I don't want a horse that runs around a barrel. I want that horse to sit on his rear end and drive off that hind quarter and push around a barrel. So he probably needs less pocket, needs his hip to the inside. And I bet you're riding him with a gag bit. Are you? No, he's in a really weird combo bit that I found on Facebook Marketplace. And it's one of the best bits he's responded to. It has a nose band, but there's a small slide on it with um, like a three piece in the middle. Okay. Well, I would, I would suggest at least schooling him in a hackamore because the stiffer he is, the more collected he's going to be. So if you want to run him in that and you like it on him, that'd be fine. But I would ride him at home with a hackamore because it's going to keep, it's going to help with your collection because it's, he's just strung out. Favorite hackamore is that it's cheap too. It's that little steel nose band that's kind of rounded and it's got a ring on the side. And what I like about it is you can pick up an inside rein and it, most hackamores, when you pick up your inside rein, it digs in the horse's face. This one doesn't. Like you can pick up your inside rein and it it doesn't do that. But it gives you a lot of control and you don't lose your shape. Like some hackamores will make a horse too stiff to where you can't get an inside rein. So that's, that's the one that I choose to go to if I need a hackamore because I can tighten up my curb chain and give give it as much control or as little control as I need but it doesn't interfere like picking up an inside rein so that's my favorite hackamore but I can just tell by what she's explaining to me the horse has way too much flex yeah Rennick also told me that when I lived with her for a summer and it was always go up to the barrel stop back up kick their hip towards the barrel every time mm-hmm. um she did the same thing and what about um like can you can you talk a little bit about body position too because I think sometimes we what I see in some riders and and I love everything you're saying but I think sometimes our body position also gets off kilter so how should she be sitting on her horse to cue him well, basically, you just want to sit in the middle of a horse. Like, I'm, I was criticized a lot when I was younger because I rode really, really forward. I remember me telling you I took dressage lessons when I was a kid, and I did it in a Western saddle. But he, he made us stay over our, the point of our horse's shoulders. So when we would post and stuff, we would post forward and stay over the horse's shoulders. And so when I started running barrels, I can actually balance myself and be totally forward. Like people are like, how do you do that? But I rode with Joyce Loomis quite a bit. She and I did some clinics together several years ago. And I, I she and I rode together and I had her critique me and she said, you're in balance. You're, if you were out of balance, I would tell you to sit down. She said, but you're not, you're totally in balance and you're not interfering with your horse. But the biggest thing that I can tell you is you need to stay in the middle. People tend to tend to lean from side to side. I don't think forward is so bad, but I even see people like lean back to turn. And I don't, I don't think that that's good, but I'm not the best person to help somebody with their body Joyce is super good at that Mm -hmm. um for me I think it I'll be honest with you it's just everyone's like how did you become a horse trainer I I don't know it happened to me I I want to be an ag teacher um so for me it was it's a gift and it's just like I read horses really well um I have good instincts when it comes to horses so it, the whole body things, but for a horse to not be collected, 
and you guys, I do a lot of clinics. I do probably at least 10 a year. And I can tell you that 90% of the problem that I see are their horses are disconnected. Everybody mm -hmm. worries about bend, bend, bend. And when you get too much of anything, when you get too much bend, you lose your hip. Everything has to have a balance. Bend is great, but I don't want a horse's head over here in my lap. Like I see a lot of those futurity trainers lope in circles and they got the horse's head in their lap. And I'm like, mm -hmm. a horse just, can't do that when they're running. I just eliminated um, a lot of bend on one of my horses that I was getting over bendy in. And one night just by flattening them out or straightening them up just a little bit more, his he made the best run he's ever made. After, I think I watched one of your videos and then I've been watching... I think it's Ashley Schaefer and there was somebody else that I talked to that kind of had a similar similar vibe and how they ran and as I watched it is like ah that's that's it and it worked so yeah it's they if you don't have control you've got to have it's like I tell people from your leg forward is controlled by your inside rein and from your leg back is controlled by your outside rein and everybody wants to ride that inside rein and they when you're training on a horse you need both of those reins yeah emma's question is what has your favorite race uh what was your favorite race you went to and then we'll go back to the smiths oh golly i'd say houston as far as a rodeo and i would say fort smith as far as a futurity Okay, so I have two more questions. Okay, so I have this three-year-old that I'm just starting on barrels. What bit do you recommend? When you're just starting one, you want to ride a horse in something that has no curb, preferably, um, like an O-ring. I used to ride O-rings all the time, and then I got introduced to the Loomis, and now the Loomis is my go-to bit, which it's very, very similar. It just, to me, the Loomis bit, it has wire over the top of the head and it's, it kind of acts like a curb chain and it helps keep horses collected really well and it helps with their shoulders. And to me, if I had to pick two things that I really needed a horse to do, it would be collect and lift those shoulders up. Those are probably the two big things that I really want to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Okay. So another one, do you have any uh, drills that you do with your barrel horses? Yes, I do. I teach them at my clinics. I do a single barrel drill, which um, when you've got a, a horse that's already, number one, I start all my colts on it because it teaches them to turn and get away from a barrel. And then if you've got an older horse that you just want to keep sharp on the barrels and you don't want to work them on the pattern, you can do this and it just keeps them sharp. So I have a single barrel drill and then I do this trot, trot, set thing where you trot, stop, back up and I always turn, Celie Ray taught me um, to turn to the inside of my circle, not away from it because she said, keep everything you do off the barrels like you would do if you were on the barrels. Well, all the other disciplines, when they, they use the fence, they go down the fence and they turn towards the fence. Well, we, that's not the way we turn. We turn to the inside of our circles, not away from them. So I do it in a big circle and I trot, trot, set, stop straight, back up, roll them over their hocks and change directions. And I do that a lot because it gets, I, when I, I'm hauling a colt and I go to a barrel race the first few times, they're all screaming and worried about, they're not paying attention to me. They're worried about where their buddy is at the trailer. I can put them in that little exercise, which I do all these at home. They know them. And I can put them in those, in that little exercise and they'll tune right into me. They just, they just start paying attention. Yeah. I just put them to work, just riding them around and loping them in circles is not getting their mind in gear. You've got to give them a job. So I always do that little deal and they tune right in and then I go to the barrels and they pay attention. I think okay. that's, 
Hold on just a second, Madison. I think a common mistake that I see happen is that at home, our horses get comfortable with things. And so we just, we do the walk, trot, lope at home and we don't necessarily work on like what Kim's saying. So then when we go to a rodeo or a jackpot or something and our horses aren't paying attention, well, we don't have something to fall back on that our horses are familiar with that gets their feet engaged. And when their feet and their body are engaged then their minds engaged and it brings them back to us. So making sure that you have a couple of um, exercises that you do with your horses at home rather than just, and it's great to long trot them and do all that kind of stuff, but still have some other more interactive things that really get them tuned into you. Did you have another so question? What is the sin single barrel drill? I can, I'll try to post it on my, or I can send it to her to, um, Basically, you put a barrel in the middle and I do, I go right, left, right, left. And I go um, three circles around the barrel. I go a wide circle, a medium circle. And then the last circle, I actually turn the barrel, go straight away from it to the fence. And then I pick up my left rein, side pass around, fall back into a circle, and come back in front of the barrel and go the other direction, just back and forth. So you're working on a lot of, when you do that, you're working on a lot of things that you need to keep sharp, a lot of your tools. Yeah. I'll um, I'll send it to Camry and let her share it with y'all, and I can post it on my, um, if you're on Facebook, you can go to Kim Thomas Barrel Racing Clinics. I'll post it tomorrow for you guys. Okay, awesome. thank you. Mm -hmm. Victoria, did you have another question? I know you said you had a few and we only got to a couple. No, I think I forgot to take my hand down. Oh, okay. That's fine. Your hand wasn't up, but I just wanted to make sure. Um, okay. Yeah. How do you, like, if somebody's interested in a clinic or um, a lesson, or do you do things where they can send you videos and you can critique that way? Like, how does that work? I do that for for like some I do that for anybody that's been to one of my clinics. They can send me their videos at any time and I'll critique them. Okay. And I have quite a few pro girls that I actually critique <laughs> theirs as well. But um, I don't have, I don't charge for that. That's not something that I do. Um, clinics is pretty much by request. If somebody wants to have one, then I try to work it out with them to do it. Seems like everybody, if I could do, I could do a, a clinic every single weekend in the spring. Mm -hmm. but I can't, I have a job now. So, um, I try to not do more than two a month in the spring, mm -hmm. summer, my summers are dead because nobody wants to do anything when it's hot. Mm -hmm. um, but they but can find if, that on your Facebook page, the different places when you are going to have a clinic, right? Yes. And mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'm trying to wait for my work schedule for spring before I solicit people to, but I, I go to New York every year. I go to Pennsylvania every year. I go to Louisiana every year. There's some places that I pretty much go back every year. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Um, earlier when you were talking about stuff, um, I just caught that you did a really good job. And I heard this from Emily Miller too, or Emily Beisel, something along these lines, at least similar to where when a horse got good, you sold it. And you went down to the next one. And um, I think sometimes it's really hard. It's hard to let those horses go. But can you talk about like how, what your mindset was, I guess, going through that process, selling the good ones, going to the younger ones, selling the good ones, going to the younger ones? Well, at that point in my life, the futurity horses were what, were what, that's what I was doing. And that's what was making me money. and the way to really make money was to sell what you were winning on. That's what people wanted to buy. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was a business decision. Now I told you that I sold Goldie when she was, I think she was six or seven, seven, I think, cause I wrote her her derby years. So I think she was a seven-year-old and I sold her to some really good design and they had her for about six months and a pony kicked her. And broke these bones in her just above her hawk it wasn't in her hawk it was kind of up on her higher inside hind leg 
and they were small bones, but they broke those little, broke those bones. If y'all hear a noise, that's, I have a French bulldog and she's in here making noise. It's not me. So anyway, um, and her horseshoe were quicked her in all four feet and she found her. Oh no, that's heartbreaking. And she was like my baby. Like she was, she was my baby. She was my first like young horse. Like I had her as a long two-year-old that I brought all the way up. Mm -hmm. So I ended up, the vet said she would never run barrels again. So and I ended up trading back for him. Back then we didn't breed, we didn't breed mares. I mean, we bought reject cutters or reject racehorses. There was no Judd Little Ranch and I started the whole barrel horse breeding thing. That was mm-hmm. us that did that. But anyway, I was just like, it broke my heart. You know, he asked me, how do you bounce back from it? Well, it don't when somebody mistreats your horse. Mm-hmm. And it, they didn't mistreat her. She just was. Wrong place, wrong time. Bad deal. It just, yeah. It just, they didn't know enough. Mm-hmm. So anyway, long story short, I traded back for her. I had a horse, a young horse, another firewater flit horse, a Palomina mare that was really nice. Her name was Shot of Firewater. I was starting to run in the 1D with her, but she was a lot different than Goldie. Like you could just point Goldie and she would just go do it. This mare, you kind of had to ride her and I had a really nice young horse, a three-year-old that was coming on. So I traded those two horses back for my crippled horse. <laughs> well, do what you want to do, you know. And, well, but I want you to know, uh, four months later, my mare's back running and kicking butt. So yes. then they got mad at me because, but they would have never saved her because when I got her, she, you could put her out in the grass in the yard and she wouldn't move three feet she wouldn't walk mm-hmm. so but anyway and she ended up dying she ended up dying at the age of 31 oh wow so, so yeah. she lived a long happy life yes sierra did you have a question my question is that my pony blows out sometimes on the third barrel and can you help me keep him from doing that are you going wide into the third barrel no I probably need to see, to see a run, but what you want to do when you, when you work and you go slow, you want to picture this barrel laying up over on its side like this. Okay. That's all the room you want on, on your horse. So when you're schooling, go around this barrel, you want to come out close, but when you're schooling, go back to the fence that way, because a lot of times a horse will get right to your pocket, hit another gear, and take off. So you want to make sure your horse keeps turning. So picture that barrel laying over. That's all the room you need. Make him come around. Do this walking and trotting several times. Come all the way back around to the fence. Overfinish it. If you'll overfinish it and then walking, trotting, loping, and then make a little run and see if he doesn't doesn't you know, stop blowing off for you. Mm-hmm. He turns the other two good for you. Yeah. Try that. Should work. Okay. My question, Sarah, was, um, are you running hard home at home when you're practicing? No, I just usually okay. let him cruise home because I don't want him to think always run, run, run. Yeah. Sometimes that can contribute to starting to blow off because they get excited about running home and then they take an it. It just gets, they start running a little sooner every time around that backside of that third barrel. But sounds like you've got a good plan. The only time I've done it is if I'm going to have a show that evening, I'll do a practice run, but I'm not pushing him hard just so he knows that I want to make sure that he's going to do it right during a run yeah don't don't run him at home keep it correct keep it correct keep it correct at home don't worry about the run trust me they know how to run that's not something you have to teach them okay so when you're working at home you just make sure he's doing it doing the pattern correctly don't even worry about the run trust me on that (laughs) okay We'll go to Madison and then I've got one more question and then we'll call it a night. 
Okay, so my horse with uh, uh, going to the second to the third goes like really, really wide off of it. But when I try to go super tight, he keeps just knocking it because if I like pull hard, he just goes into it. So okay, well this is this is the word you said that I don't like. We don't pull on horses. When you pull on a horse, they pull back. So when you pull on that horse, if you want him to go this way and he pulls back, he's gonna go the opposite way of where you want him to go. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what I do is it's just like I showed her on that on this pill bottle. If you'll go straighter to your pocket, your horse won't cut in on you like that. When you get okay. when you go wide, and I don't, I can't tell without seeing your pattern. Maybe a lot of times our problems start from the first barrel. We don't have a good first barrel, it falls into the second barrel. If we don't have a good second barrel, it tells on us at the third barrel. So if you're not turning the second barrel correctly, it's probably fouling up your third. If you're blowing off your second barrel, you need to fix it. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. if he comes straight off that second barrel like he should, you shouldn't have to wrestle with him on the third. Okay. Yeah. And just making Remember sure that you're all the way past the barrel too. Like what I see is sometimes like if they start cutting it off, we're not focusing on getting their getting their like your leg at or past the barrel. Like if we're focusing on just getting the shoulder, then they're going to drop in and blow off the backside. That's where you need to use that right. It sounds to me too, like a, from what she's describing to me, the horse is disconnected going to the third barrel. Like his, his, you want their pole and their tail head to be in a straight line and going in the same direction. You don't want them cocked off going They've got to be gathered and collected going into forward motion. Okay. If that's really hard to explain to you, I could show it to you so much easier, but <laughs> that's what clinics are for. Yes, I'll have to attend a clinic. Okay, so the last question that I have, and just because, you know, these kids are, are someday going to be in the same shoes that you were um, or that we all are as we grow up as adults and, and whatnot. And I know a lot of kids aspire to be horse trainers or barrel horse trainers or whatever. And earlier you mentioned something of, along the lines of that you, you became a horse trainer, but you maybe weren't sure that that was the right path, but it's what worked for you. Can you explain that a little bit? Basically, many times, and this is what I tell my, my girls that desire to be a horse trainer, I tell them, train your own horses, keep your, go to college, get your education, always have something to fall back on, because when you get older and you can't do it and you can't keep up, it, it's, number one, it's always a struggle. Horses, the horse business is a, is a struggle. And for most people, it's very short-lived. Like people have a winning streak and they do well and then you never hear of them again. It happens all the time in the pro world. Like, and most of the time you can't even tell us who won the world last year. I mean, people's, their memories are so short. But if, if I had to do it over again, because when I quit, I had a really good job and I could afford to go and train my own horses and have my own horses. And if I had to do it over again, I think I would go that route just because it's so high and low. Like it's when it's good, it's great. And when it's bad, it's awful. And mm -hmm. I... I hate to say this, but I think part of the reason there's so many dishonest, what we call them horse traders out there is because they're starving to death. Mm -hmm. I, I've never been that person. I've always been the person. If this horse is not legit, I'm not going to, I'm going to call it like it is. If, if it works, it works. If it don't work and you can't believe how many people I've told them, you don't need this horse. I've made girls cry. Because I could tell, even though the horse worked for, for them when they tried it, I could tell in six weeks, it wasn't going to be pretty anymore. I can just tell that. And I've, I've made, I've made a, some girls cry because I said, you don't need this horse. 
It's not going to work long term. It worked today because the horse is tuned. Mm -hmm. I'm not a horse trader. I'll never be a horse trader. I think too much of my horses and I love people. So my thing was always trying to match a horse with the rider. But I can tell you that doesn't happen very much (laughs) anymore. Horses for sale is for sale and it's your deal. Yeah. And what she's saying is really important for you guys to remember too, if you, cause I've been in that same boat too. Like I'm the same way. I don't ever want to be labeled a horse trader. Have I sold horses? Yes. But I've also turned people away that I mean, cash in hand, ready to buy the horse and the same deal. Like you could just tell that that horse was not the right fit for the rider. So if you guys are going, cause you're young and you're going to try lots of horses and you're going to buy lots of horses throughout your lifetime, if you stick with it, if somebody who trained a horse tells you that this horse is not going to work for you, listen to them because they know the horse and um, kind of a rule of thumb at our house uh, that my mom always told me is you have a maximum of eight rides where the horse that you buy is on autopilot. It is on the pilot from the person who owned it before, who trained it, who rode it every day, who did everything like that. And then you kind of got to figure out your own communication style um, because there's going to be little things here and there that are different. So it's important to to trust whoever rides that horse to one, listen, if they say it doesn't work, it's not going to work because they know the horse better than you do. Two, when you start having problems, you can definitely get help. You know, sometimes you want to go back to the person and they can send them videos, keep that good relationship, because if you are buying from an honest person, they want to see you succeed and they will know the tips and tricks and things to help you um, get that horse or pony to perform better. Thanks for joining us, Kim. Yep, I enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. Good luck, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.